Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Broken Banquet, a podcast about missions. We are your hosts, Will Bailey and Dr. Ashley Goad, and we are so glad that you have joined us for another conversation about the church and missions, about what healthy mission relationships can look like, and as we hear from others who have dedicated their lives in one way or another to mission work. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Top of the morning to you, Will. Hey, Ashley. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. We're getting ready to talk to one of my favorite people in the world. And who might that be? That's Stefania Tarasut Alexandrescu from Romania. Oh, yay. I'm glad we're going to talk to Stefania. She's one of our favorite people, too. Well, it's a bit of a long interview, but it is chock full of goodness and quick wit. So listeners, I cannot wait for you to hear from my friend Stefania. All right, here we go. <sighs> hey, Will. Hey, Ashley. It's your birthday. Yay. And I know our listeners won't be listening to this until like several months from now, probably, right. but it's your birthday. It's your birthday. Yeah. I'm I'm really thankful you were born. Um, thank you. I appreciate the fact that you're thankful that I was born. I'm thankful I was born. That didn't sound like I was, but I am. I'm happy to be here on this planet sometimes. You sound like you still have a cold. Um, yeah, I guess. It's just that sort of residual annoying yuckiness, but I feel fine. I'll cough a couple of times during this podcast, I'm sure, but but I'm I'm an 8 out of 10, so I'll take it. Well, over the magic of this podcast, somehow I have caught it. And um, so. <laughs> so you're blaming me? I got you sick through a podcast? Great. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> okay. You know what else we can do through the magic of this podcast? What's that? We can be in a room together with Stefania. <gasps> Yay. <laughs> Stefania, we Welcome. have been waiting for you to come on the podcast since day one. Oh my gosh, that's really exciting. I have not. <laughs> I'm excited, but I'm really nervous about these things. I, I just, I, I hate doing this kind of stuff. I told Yolanda yesterday that we were doing your interview today, and she said, Oh, I bet her stomach hurts already. Yes. <laughs> She's right. She's right. I've been like, my stomach has been not all day today thinking about this. Because it's, I've just been so traumatized by our videos, you know, like those videos that we do once a year. I feel like, oh my gosh, life is so hard. <laughs> but I'm okay. I'm okay. We'll get through this. This is going to be fun. It's going to be great. I almost love telling your story, I think, more than you enjoy telling your story. I think, I think you're right. So go ahead. Tell the story. I always love hearing it. Well, I, wait a minute. Let me just say, because this is the first time I will hear your story where you're actually present. So I'm I'm yeah. kind of interested to know how much of how Ash, Ashley's version of your story is actually your story. So go, go for it, Ashley. All right. Yeah, well, go for it. Stefania Tarasut was born in Sigishara, Romania in 1979. Wow. And she lived there. She's the oldest of three sisters. And she's lived there till she was 
10. 10 years old. And then there was a revolution in Romania. And so she moved with her parents, her mom. I, I love the story that you tell about your mom being at the train station with the three of you girls and suitcases and how how much you admired your mom for being able to move the three of you on her own, the courage it must have taken. Yeah, because I cannot imagine. She was probably in her early 30s when she did the move. And so... I, gosh, I'm in my early 40s and I cannot imagine moving three little girls. We each had like two suitcases. So it's like eight suitcases across across Romania, then across the ocean, then across the United States because we landed in New York and that's where we did customs. Oh. And then she went to uh, Oregon. And so it was a really, really horrible. But she was she was brave. My mom's so brave. I I forget that. I think we forget that our parents do amazing things and we kind of get to to follow their footsteps, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I think, man, if I had a, as much courage as my mom. And the funny thing is that she doesn't think she's courageous. You know, she thinks she's really ordinary. Uh, but when I look back at her life, I always think, oh, she's she was so courageous to do the things that she did and start over in her early 30s with three little girls. I mean, of course, my dad was there, too. (laughs) So he was waiting for us, you know, but still she was on her own to make the journey. And so it was pretty great. And and y'all settled in Portland, Oregon, and Mm -hmm. you ended up going to George Fox University. I did. And then you got a master's from George Fox Seminary. And then you took on a position at a Korean Presbyterian church as the mm-hmm. English ministries pastor. So you as a Romanian living mm-hmm. in the United States of America took on a church that was made up of Koreans and became their English ministries pastor. Tell me how that happened, Stefania. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like everything that I've done in the past 25 years since I started walking with Christ has been a list of things I never wanted to do with my life, but I have loved every minute of it. And so when I was in my early 20s, because I started at uh, Eden Presbyterian Church in my early 20s, I was looking for a job. Like I was just finishing my undergrad and I was thinking, man, I just need a job. And at the time, I wasn't sure if I wanted, well, I was sure I wanted to be a pastor, but I wasn't sure that a woman was allowed to be a pastor. Like I didn't have that full conviction 100% because growing up in a very traditional Romanian Baptist home, uh, you don't grow up thinking that you're gonna be a pastor and that, that that's actually a possibility. And so I thought to myself, okay, whatever, I'll just be a children's pastor because you know, a woman can teach children. And so this this church was had posted a, a job posting on the George Fox University website it just said that they're looking for a children's pastor. And I looked at the address and I was like, well, that's close to home. <laughs> that's good. Okay. So let's, let's just see what this is all about. And so I went in and I interviewed for the position. And uh, by the end of the interview, I thought to myself, there is no way on this side of heaven I would ever work for this church. This guy that was interviewing me, was, it, he felt so obnoxious to me. I thought, there's no way, there's no way I'm going to work with this man ever, 
ever. And at the end of the interview, he's like, oh, and you know that we're a first-generation Korean church? I was like, no, how am I supposed to know that you're a first-generation Korean church? He's like, well, I'm Korean. I was like, well, so? And the sign outside says... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that we're a Korean church. I was like, oh, there's a sign out there. <laughs> I didn't even notice the sign when I pulled in. So whatever. And so I was like, okay. He says, are you, he's like, do you like Korean culture? And I was like, like, not really. He's like, do you know anything about Korean culture? I was like, no. He's like, are you interested in learning more about the Korean culture? And I was like, no, not at all. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, let's keep talking. And I was thinking, we're not going to be talking because I don't want this. I called him. I got in the car and I called my mom and I was like, mom, I just met the most obnoxious man ever. I will. This is not I will never do this. And so he called for a second interview and I was like, oh, no, no, thank you. I don't think I'm the right person for this for this position. And he's like, yeah, you're probably not. You're probably right. But come and have a second interview anyways. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to. And so he just kept insisting. And I was like, no, no. And then he called all my references. And he said to them, oh, I'm, we want to get her in for a second interview, but she doesn't want to. Can you talk to her and convince her? So I have these people calling me. And they're like, this guy, Jake, keeps calling us. Uh, you should really go in for a second interview. And I was like, but I don't want to. And so because he was so persistent, I was like, okay, fine. So he says, okay. Let's uh let's meet with a senior pastor after early morning prayers because Korean churches have early morning prayer. So he's like seven thirty in the morning at a fast food restaurant. Just meet us there and we'll do your final interview. I was like seven seven thirty in the morning at a fast food restaurant for a job interview. And so for like thirty minutes, I sat there and I was making a list of all the reasons that I am not the right person for this job. Like, I don't submit to authority. I don't like rules. I'm not Presbyterian. I, not none of these. And so the senior pastor didn't speak a word of English, a word of English. And so everything was translated. And at the, at the end of the whole thing, he, in his like five broken English words, he says, you're exactly who we're looking for. I was thinking... What did you translate? Like, did you hear anything I just said? Oh my gosh. And so they're like, just come, just come and stay for a few months. And if you don't like us, you can leave. And then if we don't like you, we, you, you know, we can tell you to go. And so just a few months. And I stayed for, gosh, I was still there when I came to Romania. So about 16, 17 years. <laughs> I know. Hey, Stefania, um, we have a surprise for you. Um, Jake is actually in the green room, and we're going to bring him in. Really funny. But you know, Jake turned out to be one of the people that I think has had the most influence on my Christian faith. Like, he was ridiculously annoying, and I could not understand how he functioned. But he, he had faith in me. Like, he was... When... I was telling him that I wanted to be a pastor. He'd be like, yeah, great. That's wonderful. Yeah, you should definitely be a pastor. He gave me his pulpit because he was the English ministry at the uh, pastor at the time. Uh, and he's like, yeah, come and, come and preach. And we'll talk to the senior pastor and 
they let me preach in front of the Korean church and with translation. And I learned so much from him, so much from him. Like, I don't, I don't know if I had like top 10 people that I've had the most influence on, on my life. He would definitely make the top 10 because he was, he was a powerful personality, but he was so faithful, so faithful. I learned so much, so much from him. Yeah. Well, I had you tell part one of you being from Romania and leaving Romania to come to the U.S. Part two of your story would be uh, serving as the English ministries pastor at the Korean Presbyterian Church. To tell you number three part of your story, so then you decided to go get a doctorate, a doctor mm-hmm. of ministry in leadership and global perspective from <clears throat> George Fox University Evangelical Seminary. Um, Clearly, I don't like change because I stayed with George Fox undergrad, <laughs> grad, everything, everything I did with George Fox. Well, and I think 2013 may have been when your life changed forever because we met in London, England. We did. And and I believe that that might be like the top two events of your life that changed your life forever. So so are we are we moving into the um, this is how Ashley met the person we're doing (laughs) portion of our podcast episode. Okay, okay, because. You know, we want to be consistent too. We don't like change. So go ahead, Ashley. The first the time, first time I, met I met you Stephania was... was in London, England, which is the same time I met John Woodward and the same time that I met Patrick Marunga, all the part of this wonderful Doctor of Ministry program. And Stefania was, you know, Stefania, I I thought that she was amazing from the first moment I met her. So at the end of our very first night, I said to Stefania, Stefania, let's go back. We'll change clothes. We'll go have dinner together. And she said, great. So we, I said, okay, meet downstairs five minutes. Wonderful. I went upstairs. I changed my clothes. I was so excited to go out to eat with my new best friend, Stefania. And I waited. And I waited, and I waited, <laughs> and I waited, and she never came. It was one of the first times I was stood up in my life, and it was very horrible. <laughs> I just, I just have to say that I don't remember making this date, and so that's the problem. Like I don't remember ever having this initial conversation. I don't know what happened. Jet lag. It was jet lag. It was totally jet lag. But nonetheless, we ended up studying together for the next three years and and really did become the best of friends. And I've been so thankful for our friendship. But one thing I will remember uh, is I don't know if it was uh, when we were in South Africa or well, when we were in London, you had mentioned that you would never go back to Romania. You never. would never go back to Romania ever, no matter what the case. We were in no, South Africa and you said, well, maybe I would go back for uh, a wedding. Like if somebody close to me was getting married, I would go back and and be there for the wedding. And I believe that you went back mm-hmm. for that wedding. And when you came back, mm-hmm. we were having a conversation and you said, oh, I'm just praying so much because there's so much darkness in Romania. There's so much there's so much pain and suffering. The people need Christ. I'm going to start praying for God to send someone. Well, yes. I think that my mom was really traumatized by the move to the U.S. And the fact that she had to leave everything behind. And both of my parents left absolutely everything behind. And there was never a plan to, to come back. 
And so I think that the way my mom coped with everything was by always telling us that there's nothing left for us in Romania. There's just, there's nothing here for us. There's no reason to come back. There's no reason to talk about coming back. There's no reason to dream about coming back. There's, there's nothing left for us here. She just kept saying that over and over and over to us when we were growing up. And so, I don't know, there was no reason for me to ever want to come back. And so in my head, it was just, there's, there's nothing here for me. And I did, my best friend decided to marry a Romanian woman. <laughs> and so I promised him that if he got married in Romania, I would go to the wedding. So I had to come back. And that was my first back, first time back in over 25 years, I think. And it was, it was weird. I went to Sigishara where, from where I was, where I was born. And then we traveled the country and we saw some of the most beautiful places in Romania. And then I went to the city where my mom was born in Kalarash. And that is one of the saddest places on the planet. It continues to be one of the saddest places on the planet for me. It feels like the whole, that part of the country, but that specific city is just different shades of gray. I don't even know how to explain it. You look at the faces of the people and it's just different shades of gray. It's, there's sadness, there's fear, there's anxiety, there's paranoia. And the whole time I was thinking, man, these, these people need Jesus. And why doesn't somebody come? and just be a light just just be a light here and i think it was like around that same trip uh that i sensed god saying why why don't you why don't you come back and i was thinking uh no thank you <laughs> i'm in the middle of a doctorate which i really do enjoy and then there is like church and we're finally in a good place and i'm doing everything that i want to do and i love my life i really love my life and it was just, I was, I was going, it was a good season. I did not want to change because I loved my life. I loved America. And I know I'm that person that says I love America. And I really mean it. I love everything. I love everything about it. I never wanted to leave. I left because I had to. And so at one point in my whole conversation with God inside, I felt God saying, well, do you, do you love my blessings more than you love me? And I said, yes. Yes, I do. I love your blessings. Thank you for every single one of them. I love them so much. But then, you know, reality kind of sunk in and, and just thought about it more and more. It's like, no, I, I don't. I, I love my blessings, but I can do without them. You know, it's just, it's just stuff. And it's, it's also just, it's, it's people that my heart is wrapped around, but that's not, um, that's not good enough of a reason to not follow or maybe not even follow. It's not a good enough reason to not respond to God's invitation to what he's doing. It felt like God was starting this. He was inviting me on an adventure with him and I had a choice. Do I go or do I stay? And it, it felt like there was no right choice because I think I would have been very happy and I would have been okay in the States uh, because I'm, I'm here in Romania and I'm okay. I just think I would have missed out on an opportunity to know him and to walk with him in a different way. And so when I, when I got home, this desire to come to Romania just grew stronger and stronger. And so I told my parents and 
uh, my mom's response was, there's no way. She's like, there's no way that God would call you to go back to Romania. Like he took you out. He took us all out and he brought us all the way to the other side of the world just to take you back on by yourself. That doesn't sound like God. There's no way that God would do that. And so I was like, I don't know. That's what I sense. And then I told the church, I went to the senior pastor of the church and I said to him, hey, I think that God is, is calling me to Romania. And he's like, that's wonderful. I've been praying that God would change your heart about missions for like the past 10 years. I was like, everybody's praying for a husband. Why are you praying that God would change my heart for a husband? Couldn't you have joined that choir? Why did you start this? Like, why? Why? And he's like, okay, I'll just talk to the elders and we'll see what they say. And when he said, I'll talk to the elders, I was thinking, okay, this is great. They're never going to go for it because the pastor and the elders never agree on anything, you know? So why would they agree on this? And so like a few months later, he's like, yeah, we agree that God has called you to Romania. I was like, what? <laughs> no. Um, and so he came to Romania with me to kind of see things. And yeah, to this day, they are, they are the church that, one of the churches that sent me, there's two churches. And so they, they've been really supportive. And here I am six years later. It's an incredible story because I, I got to parachute in right in the end of it. So so I got to parachute in as you were saying, I will never go to the next year yeah. when we saw each other in South Africa. Of, oh, I went back for our wedding and we were having those spring rolls. Do you remember those chocolate spring yeah. rolls? Oh, oh, they're so, so stinking good. good. <laughs> yeah. And we were having those spring rolls and coffee and oh, so great talking about this to then the next year in Hong Kong, we were, yeah. we were praying for you as you were packing up and you were leaving. So that was kind of our sending as a doctor of ministry cohort of sending you away. Yeah. And uh, to then now my church has come alongside you to be one of your partners. And so yeah. you moved over and I think we visited within six weeks of you first moving over. Yeah. And then we've we've come back uh, several times, and and we ended up being there to meet Dragush for the first time, and uh, ended up being a part of the proposal. So yes. yeah, and now you're married, and now we're married. We will uh, be five years in February. Yeah, even marriage, it's like it was not on my list of things to do. Like I just I still can't believe that I married. Um, I can't. Because, I know. It, w it was another one of those moments in my life where I felt God was saying, you're at a crossroads. Whatever you decide, it's okay with us. <laughs> us, like, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It's okay. You, you pick what you want, and we'll just go on that direction together. There's no right or wrong. So I would have, again, I could have stayed single and really been okay and enjoyed the life that God had given me. But I chose to get married and I get to enjoy the life that it is now. It's a different adventure and it's a lot more complicated than I, I thought it was going to be. No, I thought I knew it was going to be complicated. It's, uh, it's very complicated, uh, but it's very, very good. And so I feel like every few months or maybe every few years or so, God is like, okay, well, let's do something else. <laughs> do you want to go on a new adventure with me? And he's been really faithful to it all. Yeah. So Stefania, when when the church from when when your Korean church from Oregon sent mm -hmm. you as a missionary back to Romania, and I, I was going to say, what did they send you to do? 
but that just shows how kind of programmed we are to think in those terms when it comes to missions. So let me rephrase that. How was that church imagining some sort of partnership or being in relationship or just somehow being that kind of light that you mentioned um, in the midst of those shades of gray? Like what, what was that? What were the hopes there for that church, for you? Um, what were you, were you, was there some sort of a structure already in Romania that you were being invited into? Were you guys starting something from the ground? Can you give me and and the other listeners a little bit of sort of context for that? Yeah. So I came, I didn't know. People were asking, what are you going to do in Romania? And I would say, I have no idea what I'm going to do in Romania. I honestly don't know. I just know that I have to go. And so on one of my trips, I met a pastor from one of the international churches here in Bucharest. And he invited me to be part of the English ministry at the International Church of Bucharest. And so because I didn't know anybody, I didn't know anything, I thought, why not? I'm not doing anything better. <laughs> I might as well join this, uh, this community. And so I joined the community and I was part of the English ministry at the church. And I was also serving, the church had a, a like a, another ministry and they were working with um, unwed moms or abused women or a, women fleeing domestic abuse. And so it was kind of, it was like a women's shelter kind of thing, a live-in women's shelter. And so uh, for about a year, a little bit over a year, I served with them and just spent time with the moms and took care of kids and learned how to cook random Romanian things. And it wasn't, I didn't have a plan that's that's the thing i i think from the beginning i just knew that i wanted to to be in romania to serve but i didn't i didn't have anything specific in mind but i was spending all of my my time serving at the church and i had been a pastor for a really long time at that point and so i, I feel like i've spent most of my life serving as a pastor i started in ministry in my early 20s and then when I got to Romania, I was in my late thirties. I loved the role of a pastor. I loved being in that position. I loved serving a congregation. I loved everything about it. But being at the international church, I realized here in Bucharest, I realized, you know what? This is, this is, this is not the right fit for me. They're not doing ministry the way that I understand ministry ought to be done. And I'm not, I, I'm not doing what God has called. It's not even doing what God has called me to do. I'm not being who God wants me to be because I was being, I was doing so many random unnecessary things. And so I felt like something was missing inside of me. And then Dragos and I got married, having him by my side gave me the courage to face the leadership of that church and say, listen, like, I just, I cannot, I can't do this. I can't walk with you. Um, and so as of next week, unless something changes, I'm out. And they said, well, unless you submit to our authority and what we're doing, goodbye. And then I said, okay, then I guess I'm, I'm out. But I did not realize how important being a pastor and doing the role of a pastor was in my life until 
it was no longer there. <laughs> you know, does that make sense? Like until that moment, like a few weeks after I walked away from from that church, I mean, I think the first year I spent just crying and thinking, what the heck am I doing? Like, I know that I'm a pastor. I know that God called me to be a pastor. I know that this is where my gifting is. Um, but what is a pastor without a church? You know, like is is a pastor a pastor if they don't have a, a church and a following? And and it was really, really hard for me to, to wrap my mind around the fact that I was a pastor without a church and realizing that, you know what? Being a pastor is not is not dependent on having a church. I am a pastor because this is the gift that God has placed inside of me. And so whether I have five or 10 or 50 or no people around me, I am still a pastor because this is, this is who I am. And so it took me, a, I think it took me about a year to really process through all of that and realize that, you know what, I'm, I'm not called to do pastoral ministry. I am called to be myself and to be who God has created me to be and gifted me to be. And that's it. You know, in every context that I am to just be myself and just, just be, and that's, that's enough. And that is honoring to God. And it's, it's not more honoring to him. If I have a hundred people in front of me, I can just be me on in my chair with my cup of coffee and God is just as honored and just as glorified and just as happy with me as if I was preaching to thousands. Does that make sense? Yeah. And to be fair too, I think that so much a part of your pastoral heart and your pastoral ministry has been that you pour into those that are around you. And so yeah. for you had to find your community and the people that God was calling you to be in relationship with. And that, mm -hmm. that takes time. That's something that you couldn't, mm -hmm. you don't just like we use the word parachute already. You don't just parachute into a new community and all of a sudden you have community. Um, and so something yeah. that you, something that's developed more more and more over these last couple of years for you have been these small groups, these discipleship yeah. groups, these um, these one on one relationships that that you can truly pour into people um, and focus mm -hmm. on the heart of God uh, and bringing them into a fuller relationship with God. And that's something that we on this podcast is that we have been talking about the broken banquet, that that we are a broken community, that we are broken believers, that we are have a broken relationship with God and with each other. And and I think for you to come into this new community, even though you sort of knew the language, you had to relearn it, even though you sort of knew the culture, you had to really relearn that too. And so it took time for you to be able to come into that to that setting and to truly find a home and to make this your home and to make the community your home again. Yeah. And I know I, after five years, it's six years in Romania, it's still not my home. Mm -hmm. Like it's still not my home. I walk around thinking, oh my gosh, I speak the same language as these people. I understand everything that they're saying, but they're so foreign to me and everything that they do. Like I understand, but I'm everything. I'm still translating everything in my head. You know, so I'm having a conversation in Romanian and I'm translating it in my head in English just because that's my heart language. English is my heart language. And so I'm I'm 100 percent Romanian, but I'm not. I'm really not. And I think that that took me a while to realize and to say, you know what, that's OK. So I have two things that I'm sort of processing listening to you talk. And 
one of the things that we hope maybe will happen through this podcast is that churches or people in churches who are are considering missions and and how to go about mission relationships in a way that's healthy will be able to learn things from hearing voices like yours and from the other people that we're talking to. And one of the things that's already come up in other prior discussions is how important it is for missionaries to feel like they have time to go through that kind of process that you went through, where you're not necessarily in a pulpit, you're not necessarily in charge of some programming, you're, and you're not sending uh, progress reports back to your supporters saying, look at all the things that we're doing, but that you just have time to go through that process of figuring out who is God calling me to be in this place and how important it is for your supporters to have that kind of patience with you. So were you aware of that factor? Did you feel pressure while you were going through that season or did you feel like, no, my churches, my family, my, and maybe later we'll, we'll talk a little bit about sort of your support structure, but, but whoever it is that is supporting me, they understand how important this process, this season that I'm going through right now is. Um, I think about three months after being in Romania, somebody from church sent me, from the Korean church sent me a message saying, so how many people were saved because of, (laughs) because of you being in Romania? Like literally that was the question. And I wrote back and I was like, none. I was like, I'm sorry, nobody was saved because of me. <laughs> I was like, I, I just, I, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Not, and so, when I first got that email, I was really overwhelmed, and I felt, I felt the pressure. I was like, oh my gosh, they want numbers, and they want um, newsletters, and they want me to tell uh, the stories. And I was very intentional about writing home and saying. I have no stories to tell you. And the stories that I do have, they're not my stories to tell because they're not my stories. And so I really have to process and think through things so that when I do tell you a story, it is my story. It's not somebody else's story that I'm pretending is my story. Because I see how a lot of letters go home and how you know missionaries, many times we, we see a good thing happening and we make it our own and write it in the newsletter and send it home as if, you know, all these things happened because my presence was there. But I didn't see any of that. Like I was having coffee with people, we were talking, I was holding babies, I was changing diapers. I was, you know, having some heart to heart conversations, but nothing that I felt like, okay, something is happening because of my presence, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it took the church a little bit of time because they kept saying, so send us a report, send us a report. And I would send the same one. I have nothing to report. <laughs> like, I genuinely have nothing. Yeah, Ashley. They even sent a video camera so that you could record yourself giving a report uh, every month to make it easier for you. Wow. Yeah. And there is no report. No report. I just can't. I just couldn't. And to this day, I I don't do reports. I Sometimes I'll write... I write things when Ashley's like, hey, you have two more weeks. Hey, you have two more days. Hey, it's due tomorrow. (laughs) In fairness, I do that just so that I could have a thank you. (laughs) I write it for you most of the time. (laughs) 
because mine is like she just has to rewrite everything because I'm just horrible at that. Um, well, and, but and, it's, and I think there, I mean, there's a difference in having communication between right. the church and the missionary or the organization or whatever, so that there there actually are relationships that are happening, right? So I can tell you what I'm doing and how I'm doing. I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. I can tell you what I'm feeling and what I'm reading and what I'm thinking and what I'm struggling with and all the things I'm wrestling with. I'm more than happy to tell you those stories because those are my stories. Right. I am wrestling with God through them. But to tell you all these other things that others are doing or other people are experiencing and I get to be part of that story, sometimes it's really hard for me to retell that. Yeah. And it's a process too for the, the church yeah. to realize that what maybe they think they need from you isn't really what they need from you. And, and seeing that actually just knowing how, how is Stefania mm -hmm. and how is the fact that we're committed to her helpful and, and seeing the value in that as opposed to eight, eight people, eight people, yeah. you know, everybody clap. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so the second question that I had, based on what we were talking about 10 minutes ago was you mentioned not feeling at home there. And I wonder mm -hmm. if, are there times that you feel like that makes things harder for you? And are there other times where you feel like actually it's kind of an advantage for you to not be from there? Um, I think it's an advantage. I think that God took me out just so he can bring me back in. I think if I would have grown up here, I would have been a very different person. Mm -hmm. And I think that my relationship with God would have been very, very different. And my ability to communicate grace and goodness and love would have been very different because I would have lived under the same spirit that everybody else is living under and growing up under. And so I think I have a lot more, a lot more freedom. But that also makes it a lot harder uh, to some degree because I'm not, I'm not home, you know? You're always longing for home. And I'm always thinking, well, if I was home, I wouldn't have to explain. If I was home, I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't be so exhausted right now. If I was home, I wasn't translating anything in my head. And so learning to, to be present, I think that's been the hardest part in the past, one of the hardest parts in the last six years. It's, it's realizing that I am where I am and this is good. And it's good because this is where God wants me to be. And if he didn't want me to be here, I would be somewhere else. And he wanted me to be here with the experience and the baggage and all the good and the bad that I've accumulated over the past 40 some years of my life and pour it into the community that I have here. And not in the community and all the people around me, but pour it into the, the people that he has gifted me. And it's a handful of people, you know, and sometimes I, I think, oh my gosh, there's, there's too many of them, <laughs> you know, because to have a conversation with everybody, like a two hour coffee conversation and talk about life and Jesus and things. If you have two, three, four of those a day, it's a lot. A, it's a lot of coffee. <laughs> and B, Which is not a problem. It's not a problem, but it's a lot by the end of the day because I feel like you you don't give your best. And so trying to to realize that if it's just one person and then I'm giving two hours to that person, 
that's that's enough. I am giving them myself and I'm giving them Christ in me. Mm-hmm. And if I'm giving Christ in me, then I'm giving them everything that I have, everything that's good in me. And I think that's the way that Christ shared himself with one person at a time, you know. And then he was tired and he, he pulled away and recharged his batteries and then came back. And sometimes he had five and sometimes he had 5,000. But he, I think he always cherished those one-on-one, those three conversations, you know, two, three people that were around him uh, because he valued that. And I think that we don't value that enough. We, we want people that have power and influence around us because that way we feel like we have power and influence. Hmm. But we don't think about the fact that, you know, somebody that's a preschool teacher or a teacher's aide or... Um, somebody that doesn't have this significant job. These people have stories and these people have lives and they, they have pow- their own power and their own authority and they have their own influence. And so they're just as important because their life and their story is just as important as somebody that's, you know, making laws or um, on TV, you know. And so um, learning to to value the person that's in front of you and giving them a voice and giving them importance, I think it's really, really important because you're you're breathing life into people, you know, and and you're encouraging Christ in them. I think it's Nowen that talks about how we each have um, like a a Christ inside of us, and when we're in conversation with each other, uh, we encourage Christ in us to to grow, and and when. Christ in me recognizes Christ in you, then Christ is, you're, you're empowered to, to do the things that you need to do and you want to do and you feel validated. And so I think the simple fact of sitting with somebody and having coffee with them and validating or allowing Christ in you to validate Christ in them, I think that's, that's priceless. And that's one of the most important things that we, we get to do. But you can't do that necessarily in a big community it has to be one-on-one it has to be in the ministry of presence it has to be when everybody feels safe enough to allow christ to to rise up you know because it's only when we're vulnerable that uh we can be truly honest and really allow good things to happen inside of us you know otherwise we're just pretending and it's easy to pretend when there's there's many people around. The yeah. Christ in me sees the Christ in you. Yeah, yeah. And that's encouraging. When you're not sure if Christ is in you or what Christ is doing in you, and you have somebody come across the table from you and say, listen, I see Christ. I hear Christ. You're okay. You're going to be okay because I recognize Christ in you, and you wouldn't be stressing about these things, and you wouldn't be worrying about these things if Christ was not alive in you. And that's one of the most beautiful things and gifts that we can give to one another. Um, and we don't do that enough, I don't think. I'm curious to know, you. Uh, <laughs> hang on, let me just think about this for a second. So I get told, you know, on a somewhat regular basis by people here where I'm serving, that, oh, you're one of us, right? And I can, you know, I can kind of fake it. Like I can talk like them and and I've, I mean, I've been here for 20 years, so I can sort of blend in. And so, and I, I appreciate what they're saying. It's a wonderful gift that the community is giving to me by saying we have accepted you into the community as though you were from here. But I also know 
I mean, they're, they're kind of wrong, right? I'm not from here. I'm curious to know how the community that you are a part of, the people that you are in you know, small groups with or having coffee with and, and, or having contact with you know, in your daily, daily life, do they think that you're one of them? Yeah, I'm not one of them. I'm, I'm not because they often say to me, well, you can be this way because you're not, you're not from here. Yeah. Uh, it's because you grew up somewhere else. It's because you know something different. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, people always point that out that, no. oh, you, you have the freedom that you do because you're, you're not from here. Um, mm-hmm. and you know what, maybe they're right, but I don't, to some extent they're right. I mean, okay, mm-hmm. to a huge extent they're right. I grew up in Oregon and so mm-hmm. It's a different world. <laughs> it's a very different world. But in the same, with the same idea, I can say that it's not, it's more Christ in me than it is the fact that I grew up in Oregon. If I have freedom, and this is what I try to, to teach and I try to tell them, yes, we are bound by culture and we are tied down by the context and the burden of communism and the burden of our ancestors yeah this is this is really really heavy but also the reality of christ has to change something inside of us and i think that's that's the struggle for me because how much is christ in me and how much is the culture that i grew up in and i hope it's christ in me more than it is the culture that i grew up in because if it's just culture then what the heck am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Like, am I giving them American culture? Am I teaching American culture? Is this, is this, a, am I promoting Americanism or am I living out Christ? Mm-hmm. I hope and I pray that it's not just American culture. I, I, I hope and I pray that it's the living Christ inside of me that is making me be different and stand out. And it's the freedom that Christ has given me that is causing me to not fit in at times. Sometimes it's culture, but I hope and I pray that most of the time it's Christ in me that is making me different and making people uncomfortable and maybe making people ask, where are you from and what are you doing here? Mm. You know, because if it's just the American culture, then goodness, I've I've wasted my, it's a waste. Then it's a waste because I don't want people to be converted to Americanism. I want people to, to see Christ and fall in love with me and not fall in love with the American culture and the freedom that brings. Because that it doesn't bring freedom. That brings a lot of bondage and a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety and expectations that can never be fulfilled. But Christ brings freedom. I was going to say, this is going to get to you. One of my favorite Stefania-isms. Which is, is that <laughs> missionaries suck. Oh my gosh, I was going to say it, but I didn't want to say it. Say it. missionaries are the worst they're the worst but here's what the problem is i didn't grow up thinking that i wanted to be a missionary i didn't deal with missionaries in oregon i didn't have to work with them i was in the church but whatever it was a different i have a way of living in my own world um and so i just didn't i just didn't deal with with people and then when i wanted to come to armenia i did go to a missions organization and do some training with them and then I quickly realized there is no way on the side of heaven that I can do the things that they're expecting me to do because this is, I don't fit in. 
But a lot of missionaries that come with missions organizations, one of the things that they're taught is that you don't want to offend culture and you don't want to do anything to offend people. So you always, you know, if you just, you don't correct things, you don't say things, you just smile and eventually, you know, things will change. And so there's ministries and there's, there's things and there's projects that are being done and they're not being done Christ's way because Jesus's way is counterculture. Jesus's way does things differently. Jesus's way has courage to turn the status quo upside down and make things right or try to make things right in this, this dark world. A lot of the missionaries that come, come with this fear of, you know, we don't want to offend the, the natives, which there's a healthy dose of that. But I think we've reached a point where there's an incredibly unhealthy dose of it when people try to be too much like the culture that they are ministering to and they forget that they are not called to become Romanian. They're called to become Christ-like in Romania. And they're, they're called to come here and to, to bring people towards Christ. So the goal isn't for me to become more Romanian. The goal is for me to become more Christ-like. But a lot of missionaries, when what I've noticed is that they first come and they try to become more Romanian. And they spend so much time trying to become Romanian. So when somebody says to them, wow, you're one of us, they sense like, wow, that's a sense of pride. But I'm looking at them and I'm like, that's, that's not a good thing. What is it? You, you're just like us because you have pushed your way into the train? You're just like us because you've learned how to manipulate the system? You're just like us because you are ready to take the quick way and the easy way out of everything so you don't have to wait forever to get your documents? Is that how you're just like us? And for you to be like, yeah, I'm just like them. No, you've just ruined your whole testimony because you've become like them. You did not become like Christ in this place. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. No, and that's it's so fascinating because I think the typical sort of critique is that the missionary comes into the community and completely ignores cultures and traditions and context and it's kind of you know our way or the highway we're the smart ones we're the ones that know how everything should be done we do it better so we're going to teach you how to do things our way but it sounds like in in this case it's sort of there's been an overcorrection and been. so now it's we leave all of 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 who we are behind to try to assimilate to mm -hmm. like to the point where we lose our prophetic voice. Yeah. And so the goal cuz what I like what I I think a lot of times the goal when I think about a local church sending a family out into the mission field, I bet a lot of those churches what they have in mind is their goal is that over a period of time that family will become like you say, one of one of them, they'll become a part of that community in a way that almost makes them indistinguishable from the community. And I can I can see where there is value in being a part of the community, but not if it means that it's come at the the cost of, like you say, losing the Christ in us just so that we can be accepted and it makes things easier 
for us to to do what we think we're called to do. I just think that's a that's a fascinating dynamic because it's the complete opposite. I thought what you were going to say is missionaries are terrible because they come here and they don't listen to anybody and they don't even try um, to understand and they just sort of bull in a china shop, steamroll their way into and through the community and da 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 da. And that's not it at all. The critique is it's the complete opposite, which is, man, I'm so glad that you you talked about that. But I think that was in the 90s. What you're describing was the 90s because that's what one of the things that Dragos says all the time. In the 90s, when the missionaries came, it was they were doing it their way and they treated us like we didn't know anything and that we were stupid and, you know, like a 12-year-old child would come and teach somebody that has an engineering degree how to do things because, oh you know, they're a missionary and we're we're dumb, you know? So that's the, that's his story of the 90s when missionaries came into Romania. My story working with missionaries is completely different. Wow. My experience is completely different. Yeah. And I was going to say that that doesn't mean that there isn't validity to what like Whitney Hutchinson said of you have to shed your Americanness and some of those things that that, uh, keep us from being humble humble Christians, but what we do not shed is our Christ-likeness. Like that's and that's what that, it is. Right. right. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Because culture has to be shed. Right. right? It's right. the culture that I shed because people are fascinated less now with the American culture than they were in the nineties, mm-hmm. you know? But still it's people still like Americans and it's still something Christian American Christianity has had a lot of influence and still has a lot of influence, whether we like it or not, whether we admit it or not, it's still the mega churches in the U S that have a voice here in Romania. So everybody's listening to the bigger churches in the U S so it is what it is. But again, I'm not promoting American Christianity, I'm promoting Christ. And so that if, if that's whom I'm promoting and this, that's what I'm trying to do, then I, ha- I should have courage when I see something wrong to correct it because I'm not correcting it based on my culture. I'm correcting it based on what the word of God says. And that I think is also a difference in the way that you approach things. Because if it's culture on the driver's seat, American Christianity is on the driver's seat, then then you should be kind of stand backish and say, you know, I can't I can't comment because culture and I don't want to offend. But if you are correcting with the word of God and if you are living it and you're immersed in it, then go ahead and offend. Mm-hmm. You know? But what are you offending? Are you like be really, really wise? Like if if somebody's is cutting corners and if you're standing up for that and you're saying as a follower of Christ, we can't do that, and they're gonna be offended. Okay, be offended. You're not offended with who I am, or you're you're offended with the word of God. If you're offended with the word of God in me, then that's that's on you. So we've lost our courage to stand up for the things of God because we don't want to offend culture. And I think this is where we as missionary have lost our power. Thank you. No, seriously. Like, thank you. That's so good. Um, I'd like to know, 
when we when we think about this banquet that is broken and this table that we have all been invited to as equals, if I ask you to imagine my coming and taking my seat at that table next to a bunch of the Romanians that you are in community with, what what are you going to be the most excited about the fact that I get to learn from them? Because one of the things that that's come up is sort of, you know, th- that table, we, we bring what is unique and distinct about us to the table, right? The gifts that, that mm-hmm. God has given us and the, the context that he's placed us in, the culture that he's placed us in, the way he's revealed himself to us in the midst of all of that. And so when I come to the table, that's my opportunity to learn from someone who has experienced Christ differently from me in my context and culture and be encouraged and challenged and stretched by that. So what do you think I can learn from the people in your community that are going to sit at the table with me? Faithfulness in the simple everyday things of life. Mm. I think this is what I'm learning over and over again uh, from them. You know, most of the people I'm surrounded with are are lay people. It's it's not people in ministry and it's not other missionaries because I, I try not to. And so it's just they're people living their lives and trying to live out Christ in every area of their lives, hmm. whether they're students or uh, teachers or working in offices, IT, everything that they're doing. It's just trying to honor Christ in that place. And I think that's the most beautiful thing. And that's the thing that encourages me every single time because we're called to live ordinary lives. (laughs) Everybody says we're called to live these extraordinary lives. And so everybody's disappointed with their lives because they're not living extraordinary lives. And we're comparing ourselves with this person and this person. And we all want to be Paul's and David's and John and all these things. But there was only one Paul. There was only one David. There was only one Daniel and they already lived their lives. <laughs> you know, I might not have this walk on water kind of thing, but not all of us are called to have those kind of lives. I think most of us are called to be faithful in the ordinary and we forget the beauty of the ordinary and the simplicity of life. We are longing for extraordinary and so we're we're not content. We're always looking for something else, for the next adventure, for the next thing to do. I think that's one of the things that you would learn from the, the people around me. They're, they're living out Christ in the ordinary things. And it's, it's really beautiful and it's really encouraging to me. Great. One of my favorite books is called The Liturgy of the Ordinary, yeah. Everyday Practices or Sacred Practices for Everyday Life by, um, yeah. who's it by? I don't remember. Tish Harrington. But I have it. Oh, so good. So good. I I think it's probably time for us to wrap it up. So we'll, let's wrap it up. I want to wrap up with my all-time favorite quotable Stefania-ism. Oh. (laughs) But I quote it often, and it's, Jesus did not die on the cross for me to be comfortable. And I think that one of the things of listening to your story over the last hour is that you are living into that Stefania more than most people that I've ever seen that 
Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to be comfortable. You're going to question God and you're going to talk with him and you're going to have the conversation and you're going to call into question all the other people that are praying for the same things. But in the end, you are faithful. What could our listeners learn from that? I don't know how to answer that. (laughs) Because I think that statement says it all. When I'm doing things randomly throughout the day, sometimes I'll think, did Jesus die so I can do this? And there's moments when I'm like, yeah, he died so I can so I can hug this little person, this this little kid. I can change this diaper. Yeah, he died so I can wipe tears away. Yeah, he died so I can do this. But there's other times, and I think, no, he did not die so that I can be comfortable. He didn't die so that I can, you know, indulge in all the things that I my heart desires. He did not die so I can sit in front of the TV for hours at a day and wish my life was different. He didn't die for those things. He died so that I could live. And to live is not to be comfortable. If I'm comfortable, I'm not living. And I'm saying this as a person who loves to be comfortable. <laughs> I like I'm, I love my life. I'm really thankful for everything that I have. But there's moments when I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, thank you, God, for this comfort. I'm enjoying it in this moment. And I'm enjoying it in this moment so that in the next, I can stand up and do something that's uncomfortable. So my comfort in this moment is the thing that should fuel me to get uncomfortable in the next moment. It's not something that should own me, you know? I don't live to be comfortable. I, I was called to live for Christ and nothing that he did was comfortable, but everything that he did was beautiful. Like even the worst things were beautiful. And so ask, just ask yourself, I would say that, ask yourself over and over again, did Christ die so I can do this? And if your answer is yes, then do it boldly. Then do it boldly, have courage. Do the impossible, you know, aim high. If this that's what you think, he died for me to do this, okay, then you die for it too. But if you're looking at your life and thinking, oh my, he did not die so that I can live this way, so that I can act this way, so that I can do this, then change something. It's that simple. It's that simple. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Stefania, for that word and and I, th- I think that there will be some mom- I hope there will be some moments in not just this episode, but in, in the, the course of this podcast that make people uncomfortable. Um, I think if, if all we talked about was um, easy stuff and, and perpetuated some, some sort of some of the easy imagery that comes along with, with missions and missional relationships and that kind of stuff, then I mean, what are we doing? So um, uh, thank you for, for being willing to, to share some of your own discomforts. And, and I hope that that'll maybe make some other people uncomfortable, but with the sort of the, the knowledge that uh, that's kind of what the the life of a Christ follower should be. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with us. This has been wonderful. I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to hear more of your story from you rather than from, you know, other people. But Ashley's so good at it. She's so good at telling my story. I rather her do it most of the time. You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. 
Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast.